आखें मिरते लुकिंग फॉर ब्लेसिंग आखें में विद जीसस ऑल माय माइंड And then I won't. I won't be satisfied until He touch this old heart, this old heart of mine. Let me say it again. I can't be the day. Looking for a blessing, I can't be with Jesus on my mind. And I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't be satisfied until He touch. This old heart, this old heart of mine. So I want you to stop, Buying stop by here. Just one touch from you. Just one touch from you. Oh Lord, my heart today I want you to tell me what you want me to do now I just want to feel your presence I want to feel your presence right now Lord oh, I'll be able oh, I'll be able I'll be able to make it through. So I want you to stop, stop by here. Just one touch from you, one touch from you to make my. Oh, I want you to stop. Listen up. 
Well, it's not just me standing in need of a blessing. Well, well, but it's everybody here who's gathered in your holy name, y'all. My heart's wide open, and we need to hear a word from you, Lord. I don't want my coming here to be in vain. Stop by here Just one touch from you. continue in our Lenten series about the traits of Jesus. Today we want to talk about a Jesus unity. A Jesus unity. Around the year 1773, a pastor of a small church in Waynesgate, England, by the name of John Fawcett, wrote these words to express his love and devotion for his congregation. He wrote, blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. He then wrote, we share our mutual woes, our mutual burdens, bear, and often for each other flows the sympathizing tear. These words express that pastor's feelings of unity that he had with his congregation and his profound belief that that unity was shared throughout the body one for another. How wonderful it would be if that kind of unity existed within the body of Christ as a rule and not an exception. Consider Shiloh today and, and ask yourselves, what is the tie that binds us? What holds us together? We are a large and diverse congregation. We are generally considered to be a successful congregation. Many of us are academically successful, 
economically successful, successful in our careers. We have diverse interests, diverse goals, diverse aspirations, and diverse talents. We are of diverse ages, and we come from diverse geographic locations, and we have diverse backgrounds. But what it is that draws us out of our various worlds and causes us to come together on Sunday morning ought to be Jesus. And I'll add this, if it's not Jesus, then we're here under false pretenses. Jesus said of himself, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone of the whole building. Jesus said of himself, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Unless Jesus is the tie that binds us, then any other tie is superficial at best, and it won't hold on for very long. Let me ask you this morning, if you knew that today was your last chance to pray your last prayer, what would that prayer be? Would you go on in that usual way that you go, or would there be a greater sense of urgency in your heart? Would tears flow from your eyes? Would your voice tremble? Would your knees shake? What would be the content of the prayer? Would it be selfish for your family, for your possessions, for your friends, for everything that you work for throughout your life? Or would it be a prayer for others? Would you pray for forgiveness? And would you pray to be forgiving? Would you pray for reconciliation? And would you pray for unity? Today, we are looking at one of the last recorded prayers of Jesus. In John's gospel account, it is the last recorded prayer before his arrest, his crucifixion, and his humiliating death. And what was on Jesus' mind in these last crucial moments is instructive for you and for me. Jesus was concerned about our unity. Jesus was concerned that we share the same unity with one another that he shared with the Father. Not only was his prayer for unity for his disciples, but his prayer was for unity within those who would come to believe that he was the Christ through their testimony. 
And what that means is Jesus was praying for the church. He was praying that the church would be one with him. It was a prayer for Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. It was a prayer for you and for me. I want you to think about that this morning. I want you to make his prayer personal. I want you to see it from a personal perspective. Before George Bird ever mounted the pulpit as pastor of this church, Jesus was already praying for this church. Before this church ever sang a hymn or ever held hands in prayer, Jesus was praying for this church. While he faced horrific suffering and while he faced certain death, Jesus prayed a selfless prayer. He didn't pray for angels to come and rescue him from his suffering, but he prayed for the unity of his people. He didn't pray for his disciples to become materially wealthy, but he prayed for them to become perfect in unity. He didn't pray for his people to become perfect in soul-winning methods and strategies, but he prayed for them to be perfect in unity. Jesus prayed for our unity, and he still desires unity for his people. Why is unity Important. It's important because all the material blessings that we will receive from God, all the talents and gifts with which his Holy Spirit will endow us, all the means that we have to feed the hungry and care for the needy, all of that is of no avail if there is no unity. Our television ministry and our radio ministry, our podcast, our internet, our social media ministry, our ministries to children and youth and young adults and senior adults, our ministry to prisoners and to the homeless, our ministry to the sick and the shut-in, all of that will fall short of its potential if there is no unity. There is a tremendous power in the spirit of unity that no other thing in this world can bring. But how do we achieve unity? Well, to answer that question, you have to first consider the causes of disunity. What was the problem with the disciples that brought disunity among them? You don't find the answer in John's gospel account. But if you turn to Luke chapter 22, 
you find two things that led to the disunity of the disciples. First, there was finger pointing. In verse 23, the disciples were asking among themselves, who would be the one to betray Jesus? No doubt they started pointing their fingers at each other. And church, when disciples start pointing fingers at each other, it causes disunity. When God asked Adam why he ate the forbidden fruit, Adam pointed his finger at Eve. When Eve was asked why she gave Adam the fruit, Eve pointed her finger at the serpent. It's easy to point fingers at other folk rather than accept the fact that we are a part of the problem. When we start pointing fingers at each other, we're saying that we're not responsible for what may have gone wrong. We're trying to free ourselves from the accountability that is ours to bear. We're saying I'm not part of the problem, so don't blame me. Then in verse 24, we see a second reason for their disunity. They were arguing among themselves about who would be the greatest. They were caught up in personal ambition. And my brothers and sisters, personal ambition is contrary to effective Christian discipleship. Personal ambition is contrary to Christian unity. It's hard to have unity with people that you feel superior to. No wonder Paul tells us in Philippians 2 and 3, don't do anything just to get ahead. Don't do it because you're proud. Instead, be free from pride and always think of others more than yourselves. Pointing fingers to others, being critical of their attitude and behavior, elevating ourselves above others because of pride and selfishness. All these things bring disunity within our local congregation. So how do we overcome these human weaknesses? What did Jesus do in order to bring unity among his disciples? The answer is simple. Jesus prayed. Prayer is the key. Though he was the greatest preacher who ever lived, Jesus didn't resort to preaching, but he resorted to praying. Though he was the wisest teacher to ever live, Jesus didn't go into a discourse, but Jesus went to God in prayer. 
though he did the most wonderful miracles that the world had ever seen, Jesus didn't perform miracles to bring unity among his disciples. No, in order to bring unity, Jesus prayed. My brothers and sisters, if there is to be unity among us, if there's to be unity within the body of Christ, we've got to rely on the power of prayer. Prayer drives Satan away. Prayer unites God's people. When we're tempted to point fingers at one another, we need to pray. When we're tempted to give in to personal ambition, we need to pray. When we pray, with one heart and with one mind, when we pray under the authority of the Holy Spirit, God will bring us into unity. When we learn how to pray for unity, not just pay lip service to unity, not just sing about unity, but really pray for unity. We come into union with God, and God makes our unity with one another possible. Well, there's one final thought that I want to leave with you today, and that is the more we come to Christ, the more we come into unity. Hear these words of Jesus again. He prayed to his father, I in them and you in me, so that we may be brought into complete unity. That tells me that Jesus is the great unifier. At his birth, kings and shepherds became unified. In Christ, humanity and divinity was unified. In Christ, the great and the small stand in unity before him. In Christ, fishermen and tax collectors, Jews and Samaritans, the wealthy and the pauper can all come together in unity. They can all have a common goal, and they can all share in a common purpose. And that purpose is to know Jesus better. Jesus didn't just pray for our unity, but he also paid the price for our unity. He went to the cross, and he paid our sin debt that we might be reunited with him for our unity. He let them put nails in his hands and in his feet. For our unity, he let them press a crown of thorns into his brow. 
for our unity. He let them pierce him in his side. For our unity, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that through him we might know the righteousness of God. But I'm glad that unity wasn't secured on Friday. But you had to come to Sunday morning. On Sunday morning, he rose from the dead. On Sunday morning, the stone was rolled away. And Jesus, the great unifier, stepped forth from the grave with all power in his hands. And because he lived, we can have unity when we take our eyes off of us and fix our eyes on Jesus. We can have unity. He is the tie that binds us together. He is the one who makes rough places plain and crooked places straight. He is the one who dries the tears from our eyes. He is the one who soothes our doubts and calms our fears. If we are to be who God would have us be, we have to learn to take our eyes off of ourselves and off of what we want. And we have to fix our eyes on Jesus. I want to be more like him. I want to talk like him. I want to walk like him. I want to live like him. I want to serve like him. I want to forgive like him. I want to love like him. For I know that if I keep my hand in his hand, he will make everything all right. There is unity in Jesus Christ. And if you can't find unity anywhere else, if there's confusion in your home and if there's trouble on your job and if you can't find unity in government and if you can't find unity in business, by God, you ought to find some unity in the church. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds ought to be like that above. We ought to want to be one in Jesus Christ. Choir is going to sing a hymn. Deacons are coming across. Ministers are coming down. We are 